Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Translash family, it's Amara Jones. Welcome to the Translash podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Well, it's been a difficult past couple of months, maybe a difficult year, but one of the things that continues to get us through is music, 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 especially music that is made by trans people with all the ways in which trans people blend genres and create new frontiers by seeing music and music possibilities differently. That's why I wanted to talk to one of the standout artists in our community, Shia Diamond, whose barrier-breaking music and music styles continues to create entirely new sound imaginations for us all and expose us to the power that we have when we tap into trans creativity. There are trans individuals coming to shake the airwaves, to not only come through and do what I've done, but to excel in the music industry. If given the opportunity, if given the fair shot, they'll be able to change music in a way we've never seen before. But first, since this is a music episode and music creates trans joy, let's start with trans joy. Many hearing folks assume that music isn't for the deaf and hard of hearing, but that's a huge misconception. Members of these communities have always enjoyed music, and many are musicians in their own right. Today, I'm excited to highlight the accessibility-focused and boundary-pushing work of Alter Boy. Alter Boy is an Australian queer electro-pop group created by three deaf and hard-of-hearing artists. Their lyrics explore themes of disability, community, transness, and religion, while their unique live performances incorporate elements of drag and Australian sign language interpretation. Here's Alter Boy's lead singer, Molly Priest, to tell us more. I enjoy writing about shame. I enjoy writing about grief and loss. For me, being trans and having a queer body isn't, it's not all about pride and joy. For me, it's about being able to choose myself even when it's hard to do, even when it's scary, even when it hurts, even when it's complicated. And it doesn't happen in a single act. And so for the past couple of years, I've been writing music about this experience, about having this body, and that the songs just keep coming. I can't move away from it. Molly, you and the members of Alter Boy are Trans Joy. To 
Today, I'm thrilled to be talking with singer, songwriter, and activist Shia Diamond. Shia is known for her gritty and soulful blending of genres like R&B, rock, folk, and gospel music, as well as her lyrics that inspire both protest and celebration. Shia is a rising star in the world of soul music. She found her voice while incarcerated for 10 years, where she wrote her empowering trans anthem, I Am Her. Shia's stunning debut EP, Seen It All, was nominated for a GLAAD Media Award. Her protest anthem, I Am America, serves as the theme song to HBO's Emmy-nominated, We're Here. It's also featured in HBO Max's And Just Like That. Shia has performed for presidential candidates and superfans like Sam Smith and Demi Lovato have sung her praises. As a fellow superfan, Shia, I'm totally and continually blown away by your incredible talent and really appreciate you joining me for today's show. I know you've had an extremely busy Pride Month. Yes, and I don't think it's over yet. Um, I just got an um, invitation to perform in October for Pride, so I'm like, oh. It never ends. Well, that's good because your career is never ending. It is continuing to take off, and just congratulations on all the things um, that you've accomplished that we spoke about in your intro. But before I kind of dive into just the power of the moment for you as an artist, I wanted to just take people back and take you back a little bit to the beginning. And I'm wondering if you can tell us when you first knew the power of your voice. Like, how old were you and what was that moment? When I was younger and I was in church, I remember uh, my mother trying to get me to sing at, at the church. And all the kids were, you know, asked to sing. And there was like this huge gift basket that they were giving out in return of you singing. And I just remember how shy I was and how I didn't want to be judged. I was afraid I would sing like a girl and I would be punished for it. So I did not sing. And I remember regretting it and seeing the other kids get their basket. But I remember also the feeling that people knew that I could sing. But I started in high school actually singing songs that, and I remember that I wasn't really popular in school. I was nice. I was a nice one. So people said hello and all that great stuff, but nobody hung out with me like mm-hmm. that. But I remember I started singing at the, at the lunch table and it changed everything. I was a table that everybody wanted to sit at. At some point, there was like a sing-off between tables. So it was some <laughs> a new tradition that I started. I realized that, you know, I could connect with people that way because I was so awkward that people, you know, really couldn't connect with me, you know. Wow. Do you remember what song that was? Like, what song did you win in, this, in the table sing-off? Do you remember what song it was? Oh, I do not. But I remember that I actually took Can We Talk to the Road. So basically they had a a talent show. And so it was like the biggest one our school um, had. And people would come over from other schools to watch it and to also uh, enter it into it as well. And I remember I saying, Tevin Campbell, Can We Talk? It was the day I ran away from home. Mm -hmm. So basically my mother had saw some things, you know, in my drawer that would imply that I like boys and she went hysteric said, not in my house type of situation. And I remember I was trying to figure out where I was going to live at that point. 
And friends of mine was like, you have to be in the show. I was like, well, you know, my mama just kicked me out. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I remember I had ran away with just the clothes on my back. It was like no socks and a pair of tennis shoes. And that's how I performed for a talent show. And I remember it being such an emotional moment and that, you know, everybody was like looking forward to me singing. So I realized that I had a little power in singing. Yeah, it's really wild. It kind of reminds me of this anecdote of Ella Fitzgerald being homeless and living on the streets of Harlem and walking into the Apollo to sing at their kind of open mic night. I think she was 14. Oh, my God. And that's how oh she God. actually started. That's how I was 14. I yep. was 14. <laughs> yeah, that's how she started. It's really wild that that came to mind. So... You learned that the power of your voice could help connect you to other people and get you through really tough situations because of your sexuality and gender identity at home, that it still provided a way out for you. And then you continued to experience really difficult situations in your life, including being incarcerated. And I've heard you talk about that experience And how at key moments when you were incarcerated, that the power of your voice as well was something that got you through. Can you just talk about that? Because that just seems to be a theme. Oh, my God. I remember just the day I was incarcerated. I remember a feeling of just feeling alone. You know, the judge gave me a hell of a lesson. He really did. He gave me a lesson upon the loyalty of the people in your lives. Like, you know, when people, when you're doing great, you know, people are happy and proud to be in your lives and to know you and all that great stuff. But when you do something that is frowned upon, that's when you know, when you actually have people in your lives. And the judge said, you know, I must be a horrible person because not even my mother showed up to my court. You know, here I am a youth. I got judged more severely because nobody showed up. So the power for me of people showing up is really, really important. Also, when I was incarcerated, there was this sense of loneliness, too, because, you know, everybody got a visit. The most hardened criminals had visits. I mean, they had visits from someone. And here I was, I didn't have any visits at all. So for me, my voice was my comfort. Voice was my solace. It's how I carried on, you know, it filled that void of loneliness. So I was able to communicate these thoughts and these words that I would never say to anyone. But I wanted to, if anything had happened to me while I was in there, I wanted that message to live on. I wanted people to know what my life was like because of who I was. And to also let other people know that was like me, that they weren't alone. So it was more of a last message to someone who thought that they would make it through a situation. So during my darkest time, I wanted to be able to share some light to people who were going through the same thing I was going through. Right. I think I've heard you talk about a story of once where you were kind of in a row of cells and it was a really dark space. You Mm -hmm. sang to someone or you were singing, singing to yourself and that that was a really powerful moment. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. I was in segregation. So, you know, we got, oftentimes we got punished for being trans, right? No one wanted to have responsibility over this trans body that stuck out so much from the rest of the inmates. 
So they would look for ways to put us in segregation and say we were a threat to, to the good order of the facility or, or something of the sorts, just so they didn't have to deal with us. So out here was a time I was put in segregation. I just started singing because, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. You had a racist that was right next to me that would say the N-word every 15 seconds, you know. You had people that were yelling to the top of their lungs, fighting with the guards, fighting with each other, all through the cells, of course. So I would just sing. And I remember people would hear me sing and, you know, they would tell me to sing louder. I would leave from like beating my poem on the desk and singing a song to actually land on the floor where there was like a little piece of light under the door where you could see. And I remember just like singing. And every time I stopped singing, people would tell me to sing that song again. Funny enough, it was I Am Her that they would love to hear the most. Here was was a cell full of guys and they wanted me to sing repeatedly I Am Her. The message within the song translated beyond genders, beyond gender identity, beyond gender expression. This was a song of hope. And I remember that normally they would tell people not to sing, like the guards would stop you from singing. But I remember the guards used to love me to sing too. So it was like, you know, after I got finished uh, singing, there would be applause and everything. I remember for me, I love the acoustics. You know, it was crazy. It was the worst place to be in the world, but the acoustics was amazing. And seeing these songs I had written inside and the impact it did on people's lives, like I was saying, when I left, it was my final day of being incarcerated. I remember that the officers and the inmates were crying. And I remember a guard telling me that he had never seen anything like that in his life to where all the inmates were crying and all the guards were crying for one person leaving. So it let me know that I had impacted so many people. It's interesting because I think I Am Her has now passed a million streams, right? That's the song that's... Almost. Almost. It's almost there. All right. I Am America has reached it. I Am Her is on the way. Well, maybe that's everyone listening. <laughs> you know what your assignment is to get Shia over a million. Yes! <laughs> One of the things that's so clear from all of your music to me is bravery. There's so much bravery in the way that you approach songs and your ability to part rock, part punk, part pop, part R&B, part gospel. You know, that's like very much kind of your style. And it takes a lot of bravery to be able to execute those in a single song and art form. And I'm wondering if that bravery that you have was something that you always had, or is it the sum total of the experiences that you'd been through being isolated, being kicked out of your house, being incarcerated, being trans, being a Black trans person, making it in music? Like, I'm wondering if that was, you always had that bravery in your music and your voice, or is it something that's just been amplified through your life? I, I believe it was amplified because it was Shia unleashed. Before then, like I explained to you, I was very awkward, very shy, believe it or not. I didn't really connect with people very well. I mean, people knew me as being sweet and, you know, all that great stuff, but they they didn't know me as being bold. There wouldn't be a word to describe me would be bold or brave or anything. But it was something about the music aspects that let me connect with people more. And I really doubt that I would have 
had the strength or the courage to actually put myself in front of an audience to actually sing on this level without having been incarcerated. Because after you have like a near-death experience or you have some type of tragedy in your life, you feel like you have nothing else to lose. And in that aspect, I felt like I had nothing else to lose. I had been at my lowliest point and there was nowhere to go but up. It was like a nightmare, like being incarcerated, not having the power to do all these things. You saw all this art before you. You saw all these artists that were emerging. And here you were stuck in a cell. You had music in your heart, music in your mind, music in your soul. But the only way you could release that was in a cell singing for people that were incarcerated. So it gave me practice to be able to unapologetically let my voice be the light and hold power in that and security in that. So, yeah, I would have never done it. I would have never felt like there was urgency. So after I was incarcerated, there was a certain urgency that I had to do this. It had always been my dream. But again, we were told that our dreams meant nothing if we were queer. After incarceration, I wasn't worried about support from family and friends that didn't show up while I was incarcerated because I knew they wouldn't show up. This couldn't be a vessel or vehicle for me to gain closeness to my mother, to my father, to my siblings, to my friends. It had to be a vehicle of hope for me to continue because, like I said, at my lowest point where I didn't want to go on, here was music coming to save me, to tell me that there was other options. Because when you feel like you have no one and you have nothing, you feel like you have no options. But as long as you have you, you have the power inside you, you have that determination inside you, and you still have that dream that is still alive inside you, you have the strength to go on. And so that's what gave me the strength and the courage to go on was that music and being able to to express that music. Did I think that I would ever come to this level from that dream, from that thought? No, I did not. I didn't think there was a possibility, but I realized that it wasn't about my singing voice. It was about my story, my story of triumph, that many people were too afraid to divulge. You know, we all want to be a superstar, right? We all want to be famous. We all want to do these things, but we don't want to walk in the shoes to do the things that you have to do in order to ensure that. That was my learning. I was going through some things that most people would have broke going through. So I realized walking in my shoes that I had a unique pair of shoes on in order to change the not only my narrative, but the narrative of people like me as well. That bravery that you talk about that was accumulated through your life and your voice has led you to some really powerful places, performing with Cindy Lauper and John Legend and um, Sam Smith. The list literally goes on and on. You recently, as we mentioned, made Billboard's list of the top LGBTQ anthems ever. With all of that as kind of a reality and a backdrop for you. What do you think is really important about your presence as a Black trans woman in music? That is to say, what's different in music because Shia is there? 
There isn't much different besides there is a little bit more visibility, but there isn't enough visibility. I think what my presence means is there is time for change. And what the time for change means is that there are trans individuals coming to shake the airwaves, to not only come through and do what I've done, but to excel in the music industry. If given the opportunity, if given the fair shot, they'll be able to change music in a way we've never seen before. And I feel like what makes us so powerful is that we have stories to tell that no one else can tell except for us. A lot of times we share so much of our culture with others and they benefit so greatly upon our contributions, but we've never been able to benefit ourselves. The future and the future that we're creating is one that will be greater than ours because they won't have to go through the things that we had to go through in order to open up those doors. What does the music industry need to do to support trans artists? And what do you think overall that the music industry doesn't get about trans artists that they need to get in order to better support? They're overthinking. They're overthinking it. Because with music, right, we hear a sound and we like it, right? We love it. But society has been taught to judge us that who we are and who love us is not the norm. So even by listening to our music, a cishead person, specifically a male, is deemed to be a homosexual or whatever you would call him in this aspect. So there isn't a freeness that happens when they're able to listen to our music, it's almost like they have to sneak and listen to our music, like they have to sneak to be with us. So um, it's like you're listening to a trans person sing a song. You know, are you attracted to that trans person? What's going on with you? Other artists don't have to go through that. You hear a song from a cis head, queer people are listening to it, straight people are listening to it. There's no problem. But when it comes to us and our contributions, people feel like they have to judge us first. They feel like they have to highlight the fact that we're different. It slides over to more tokenism than it does actual celebration or actual allyship. If people were allowed to just be, if they were allowed to just listen without fear of judgment, I feel like you would see more trans people on Billboard Top 100. But if you are thinking about the people who make decisions about which artists get platformed. And if you are thinking about executives in the music industry, what do you think that they have to do differently in order to support trans artists in the music industry? What are some of the things that they need to do? First of all, they need to step out of leadership and allow someone who is of that experience uh, to be their guiding light because I don't think they can be objective in that way. I believe they're used to a certain norm. And so they only expect a certain thing to succeed. One of the things that is true is that trans people are changing music as we know it through hyperpop, which in many ways may be the future. Of course, what you're doing, as I mentioned, the fusion. In many ways, trans people are visionaries when it comes to music. And I'm wondering for you, what other trans artists and musicians you right now are a fan of? So yeah, you already know the main ones, Sophie, 
Kim Petras, mm-hmm. uh, Never Ending Nina Notes is one that is on my radar that is like setting a blaze of fire behind her. And Angelica Ross, you know, our sister, she's out here and she's doing music now. So it's powerful to see, you know, us out here. You got MJ out here as well. Again, it's about people showing up for us. You've shared the stage with so many powerful people. As you move forward, what are you thinking about in terms of the dreams that have yet to be fulfilled within music? Where is Shia visioning right now for herself and for her artistry? Well, I'm hoping that I can secure a TV show that's centered around Shia Diamond and her music and her journey uh, in music and overall, you know, obtaining that Grammy and being acknowledged by my own community would be amazing. Well, all of that is, I think, something that everyone listening to should help bring about. And I support and acknowledge so many of the things that you say. There's a lot of work that has to be done in terms of creating space and opening doors. So I hope that all of that flows to you. My last question is about the world in which your music is taking place. We're having this conversation in July. And of course, July is the month where the United States celebrates his birthday. And one of your most powerful songs is I Am America, as we've discussed, which has been streamed a gazillion trillion times. And at the same time in that you say you are America. Right, This Black trans person who is formerly incarcerated is America and that you want to be included in the American story and you want a piece of the American pie. That's what the song is about. And at the same time, so many people are despairing about where the country is on race, on our issues, on the basic control of our bodies. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that contradiction and how you personally navigate the tough times in which we live and move forward with the hope that's in your song. I Am America was birthed during a time where there was rebellion and we as artists had something to say. Well, I know for me, I wanted to have something to say of hope, a song of resistance and a song of action. I Am America is reminding folks that regardless of what agenda they push on us, that we are the fabric of America, that Black people are the fabric, the foundation of America, that Black trans people led so many fights uh, for equality, uh, women's rights, that's gay rights, that's trans rights. We were there at the intersection of it all. So we are the fabric of America. We are what makes America great. I Am America is a reminder of that, of the power that we hold. I Am America was a reminder to not only the cis heads that were trying to erase us, that were trying to kill us, but also to ourselves to remind us of the power that we hold in this here country and that we built it. We're the fabric, we're the cherry pie on your lips, baby. With that gin and juice, honey, you know, go ahead and take a sip. It was to let our community know and let the world know at large that we are all America. 
And there's no difference between you and I. I'm a, I'm a stranger just like you. We're all a stranger on this land. Didn't belong to none of us. So America belongs to all of us. America belongs to all of us. For good or bad. <laughs> Let me say that first. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, you can have it. But for good or bad, this is where we belong. This is where we are. And it's ours. We won't be thrown off of it. We won't be intimidated out of the power that we hold. We'll know who we are and we'll hold those truths to be self-evident. Well, what's self-evident is the power of your music, how much passion you bring to it. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us and to talk about your life and what's important. I'm so grateful. So grateful for you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your platform and you're doing amazing things. And I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. That was Shia Diamond, future Grammy Award winning artist. Thank you so much for listening to the Translash podcast and stick around all the way to the end for something special, or at least I think it's special. But speaking of special, special thanks to El Capitan E for giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. El Capitan E says, Amara, team and guest are magic. You are all trans joy. I have deep gratitude for you all. El Capitan E, we have so much gratitude for you. And thank you so much for your kind words. And if you want to get a shout out on the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star, you heard that right, five-star review. You might just hear your review on our show. You can listen to the Translash podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and all the other social media platforms. And be sure to tell your friends. The Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Drumroll, Oliver Ash Klein, and Aubrey Calloway. Our intern is Marana Munson-Burke. Xander Adams is a contributing producer to the show and our sound engineer. Digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of CZK Records. The Translash Podcast is made possible by the support of foundations and listeners like you. So what am I looking forward to, y'all? Two things. First, vacation, vacation, vacation. I will be out of the country for a substantial part of July, just getting some head clearing space time, which is so important when we are in this intense work or when I'm in this intense work and in this intense society, I've got to create long breaks so that I can recenter myself. For some people, short breaks are work and that doesn't really work for me. I have to have longer stretches of time to really reset and ground. So I'm totally looking forward to that. And if y'all want to be nosy and know where I'm going, just go on over to my social media accounts. Pretty much all of them are at Amara Jones, or I think Instagram is Amara underscore Jones underscore don't ask. Um, And y'all can see where I'm going, but I'm looking forward to my reset time. 
And the second thing is that I'm so excited about and so proud of everyone at Translash um, for the work on this project. Um, two of our films from the Trans Bodies, Trans Choices series are going to be featured in Out Fest this month. And that's just such an amazing honor and is a tribute to the powerful stories that trans people shared with us about their experience with bodily autonomy and the need for access to abortion and reproductive services for trans people. So those are two things that light my fire. <laughs> 